Coming up on episode 39 of the Keto Camp podcast, we have the author of the Ketogenic Bible, Dr. Ryan Lowry. You need to inspire people to take action because there's scientists who are way smarter than I am, brilliant individuals, but if they can't take or relay a conversation to a person and allow them to inspire them to take action, what good is it, right? Like I have a million books, like you have a million books behind you there and there's so much content in them, but if someone can't digest that and understand how to take action from it, what good is it? I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hello there. Thank you so much for listening to the Keto Camp podcast. My name is Ben Azadi and I am your host. I am so grateful for you because you chose this podcast. Out of all the podcasts in the world, you are here with me. So thank you so much. This episode is an awesome episode with a man who's doing incredible work in the space of health, specifically keto and also fasting. He is a fellow Floridian in Tampa, Florida, and he is gonna share so many keto golden nuggets for you. So if you are following the keto diet, fasting, and you're interested about performance and longevity, then this is the episode for you. And what we talk about in this episode is a, a lot of things. We, we get into the science of the keto diet. If you wanna talk about somebody who's reading the literature, somebody who's a nerd like myself, Dr. Ryan Lowry is one of those individuals and he talks about muscle. Can you build muscle on the keto diet? And he breaks down some studies they actually did on CrossFitters doing keto and the studies will shock you. We get into the number one reason why Ryan believes people struggle on the keto diet and they end up failing on the keto diet. Also, can you train in the fasted state? Is it healthy to exercise in the fasted state or is it bad for you? He breaks that down. The connection between Alzheimer's and not having enough energy fueling the brain and do ketones actually help with Alzheimer's? Really interesting stuff here. We get into the calories in versus calories out debacle. There's so much confusion out there. You have, you have two camps, right? You have the camps that believe in this energy expenditure hypothesis, which is more of a <clears throat> myth. And then you have the camp who actually looks at the body as a chemistry lab. So we talk about that and then the importance of fulfillment, of gratitude, of working on your inside, the inner size before everything that manifests on the outside. This is an awesome episode. I really enjoyed my conversation with Ryan and I'm going to get into that in a few seconds. I just, I just want to first let you know that this podcast episode is sponsored by the world's healthiest coffee beans, which is Purity Coffee Beans. Look, if you're a coffee snob like myself, which you should be, by the way, because coffee is the number one sprayed crop in the entire world, okay? Herbicides and pesticides and heavy metals and mold, this is what's going into your system when you're drinking conventional coffee, when you're going to Starbucks, when you're going to Dunkin' Donuts, when you're going to Whole Foods and just getting regular coffee beans, that's not healthy for you. And if your goal is health, then become a coffee snob like myself. Purity coffee beans are 100% mold-free. They are the highest antioxidant coffee beans you can find. They actually have studies to show and back up their claims. They tested the top 43 brands out there and they won hands down when it came to antioxidants and taste. They did a taste test and they won in taste. So if you wanna get your bag of Purity Coffee Beans delivered to your door every single month, like I personally do every single month, then head over to www.ketocampcoffee.com. Keep in mind, camp is spelled with a K, so that's www.ketocampcoffee.com and go get your keto coffee beans 
on starting today. If you're finding value from this episode, hey, take a screenshot of it on your phone and post it on your Instagram story or Instagram profile and tag me in it. And I'll be sure to share it on my story and we'll get some people following you back. My Instagram handle is at TheBenazadi, T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I. And I'd love to hear from you. You can use the hashtag KetoCamp. And I, I search that hashtag so I see the keto campers out there. And I really appreciate every single one of you. Let's get into this episode with the awesome Ryan Lowry. Dr. Ryan P. Lowry, PhD, a 2014 national champion baseball player. He earned his bachelor's and master's in exercise physiology and exercise and nutrition science from the University of Tampa. Ryan completed his doctorate work at Concordia University in health and human performance with a focus on the effects of a well-formulated ketogenic diet and exogenous ketone supplementation on various markers of health and body composition in healthy and diseased populations. Ryan currently serves as the CEO of Ketogenic.com, president of the Applied Science and Performance Institute, and has invested in several health-focused startups. Over his career, Ryan has published over 150 papers, abstracts, and book chapters on human performance and sports nutrition and is heavily focused on the impact of ketogenic diets and exogenous ketones on performance, cognitive function, and longevity. Ryan has received the Exercise Science Scholar of the Year Award, NSCA Award for Outstanding Presentation of the Year Award, and the National AAH. P-E-R-D, Exercise Science Major of the Year Award. Ryan recently co-authored the book, The Ketogenic Bible, alongside his partner, Dr. Jacob Wilson, which focuses on the science and practical application behind the ketogenic diet, exogenous ketones, and all their potential applications. Dr. Ryan Lowry, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm super excited. I'm excited too. I want to share your amazing story, what you're doing within this world with my audience. They probably know you already, but I've been studying you for a little bit and you're doing some really cool things. And before we get to what you're doing nowadays, I'd like to go back to a date, which is September 10th, 2002. And I'd love for you to share the significance of that date. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really for me where it all started. So on that date, it was a day I was, I was young and and I remember I was playing football, and I remember getting a, a call after the game. My dad had driven me down the shore, and I was wondering what we were going down there for. Like, I really was confused. I was like, why are we going down here? And he's like, well, something happened to Grandma. We just need to head down here. And my mom was already down there. My entire family was there. And when I showed up, by that time, she had already passed. And for me, it was like this crazy whirlwind because – I had just seen her the weekend before everything was great. And I think it's important, like for me and my family, like my grandmother was my rock, like everyone, like it was family gatherings were there. Like she used to cook, like for, we used to say she used to cook for an army because like there was always leftovers and she was literally the rock of our entire family. And she was way too young in her early sixties and just passed away unexpectedly. And it was due to heart complications and in large part, her being obese and she was significantly overweight. And I remember probably for four or five years after that in my room, I had her autopsy report and on it, it said an obese woman in mild to severe respiratory distress, lethargic. And that's literally all it said on her autopsy report. And it ate at me over and over and over again, because that's all that, like at the end of the road, like that was, that's how these doctors described my grandmother. And like, I knew her as this amazing, loving woman who cared about people who gave back. And like on a sheet of paper, it just said she was obese and she died because she was obese. And, and that really kind of initiated and triggered this entire journey of how do I help educate people? How do I help go down this path to allow people to, to achieve a point where they're not facing the same issues? What if we can be proactive about it? What if we can educate like you do all the time, like educate these individuals of how can we be proactive about our health and not get to a point where we're 30, 40, 50 years down the road and facing these complications. How can we start today to prevent that from happening? 
Yeah, it's a powerful share. And thank you for sharing that first and foremost. I'm sorry that that happened. And I'm grateful that you took that that pain that you experienced and you used it. You used that energy for, for a purpose. And what you're doing nowadays, you, you're helping people become proactive instead of reactive. And it's so important. It, it's so important because if we just leave our fate in what's been going on, the obesity crisis, then we fall victim to the stats and the stats are disgusting. It's devastating. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that. I mean, the, the obesity trend, not just in adults, right? In children, it's disgusting. Absolutely. And it's not just America. Where do you see the obesity trend going in the next 10 years with the popularity of the ketogenic diet? Hmm, that's a really interesting question. I'm glad you brought, you brought up some very key points. One, the thing that's alarming is the obesity trend in children. That's freaking scary. Where we used to call, I say this all the time, we used to call it adult onset diabetes and we can't call it anymore because children are getting it left and right. And that's, that's just unacceptable in my opinion. So we need to address that. But to your point, it's not only the US. Like I just spoke in the Dominican Republic. I'm flying out tomorrow to speak in Mexico and all of these areas, it's just growing and growing and growing rapidly. And to your point, I feel there's an obligation. I know you feel an obligation. Everyone that's in this movement, I feel there's an obligation to try and turn that, that shift, to shift that around and turn it in the other direction. And at the end of the day, I think education is important, but like I talk about a lot of times, it takes inspired action. And I think you need to inspire people to take action because there's scientists who are way smarter than I am, brilliant individuals, but if they can't take or relay a conversation to a person and allow them to inspire them to take action, what good is it, right? Like I have a million books, like you have a million books behind you there and there's so much content in them but if someone can't digest that and understand how to take action from it, what good is it, right? So for me, I think a lot of it's about taking, allowing people to take inspired action and understanding that if we want that number to start trending downward, it starts obviously with hopefully focusing on youth, but it starts with us being better educators and being better uh, advocates of the movement and allowing people to take inspired action, sharing stories, sharing the successes, sharing the downfalls and how to overcome those and being like coaches, mentors, leaders and guiding people through it and allowing them to understand, not ridiculing them, not going, you're a terrible person, you're eating fast food, you suck. It's no, it's how do you lead with empathy and go, I completely understand you're, you have this addiction to food, you have complications that are going on, I've been there. Let me show you how I did it and kind of guide you through that journey. Those are the important things to really change that paradigm. I agree. Live it to lead it. And that's exactly what you said. It's, it's really the connecting with people and having them experience that connection rather than just giving them a whole bunch of facts and science. All that's important, absolutely. But if you have a disconnection there, then it's, not, it's just going to go in through one ear and come out the other. So you do a really good job at connecting with people. You have a talk at uh, KetoCon 2018. It was a great talk. I'll put that link in the notes below. So the, the ketogenic diet, first of all, before we get into do you see foresee it helping with this obesity trend, how did you get into the ketogenic diet. Out of all the information out there, which we know there's so much to make your head spin, how did you get involved with keto? Yeah, it's it's quite funny because I was your typical carbaholic. Like throughout high school, like I was the complete, people are going to be like, oh, I hate this guy because I was one of those people growing up that I was so active in sports that I could not gain. Like I was drinking mass gainers. I was eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches in between my meals just to try and pack on mass because all my coaches told me like, you're too small. You need to gain weight. You need to gain weight. But my metabolism was so fast because I played basketball, baseball, football. And then in college I played baseball and I was always on the go. But immediately after I stopped playing baseball in college, that changed, right? My metabolism changed rapidly and I could no longer eat three bagels for breakfast chick-fil-a for lunch and like a panini for dinner like i gained a ton of, i gained like 30 pounds in two months and was like what the heck just happened and i realized my metabolism wasn't the same i was sitting a lot more i was working i wasn't on the baseball field like i used to be and i was like wow i need to take a shift and at that time uh we were very close friends with uh 
Dr. Dom D'Agostino, Dr. Jeff Bolick. And I remember very clearly there was a, a conference, I believe it was 2010, and Dr. Volick was giving a talk on ketogenic dieting and endurance athletes. And I remember Jacob, my business partner, and I uh, were in that talk, and he was talking all about all this data that he had on endurance athletes, and someone raised their hand, and they're like, but Dr. Volick, what data is there in resistance trained athletes? He's like, shit, we don't have any. Like, we don't have it. We, we don't have any. And, and we were like, huh, like, this is interesting. Dom does this all the time, and he's got more muscle in his right arm than I have in my entire body. Like, maybe we should, maybe we should study this. And I remember that's really what started us going into that research initiative in 2010. And I remember the first time I ever did a ketogenic diet, it was atrocious. Like I failed, I felt terrible. And the reason was, is because back then there weren't the resources, right? It was kind of just like, oh, eat high fat, watch your proteins, stay low carb. And so I was addicted to sweets. I was coming off of eating bagels and bread. So literally three times a day, I would make something known as chocolate mousse, what chocolate keto mousse, which was unsweetened dark chocolate, heavy cream, coconut oil, coconut butter, and a little bit of protein powder. And you put it in the freezer and it makes this chocolate mousse. And that's literally all I, all I ate. <laughs> and it was delicious, but like, wasn't getting in elect any electrolytes. Like, wasn't getting, like, it was just terrible. And I was like, wow, this keto thing is tough. Like, I don't know how they do it. And so you learn and you adapt over time. And that was really our introduction to it. Oh, very cool. I love that. So, so what's the biggest reason why people experience the keto flu, which is really a, a carbohydrate withdrawal symptom, correct? So what's the biggest reason? Is, is it a lack of electrolytes? They're losing electrolytes. What do you see the biggest reason for that? Yeah, I think uh, it's a combination. Like you said, you've been relying on fueling on carbohydrates and glucose for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It's going to take your body some time to adapt to switch over to utilizing fat and ketones as fuel. It's not going to happen in 24 hours. And so that shift in, in fuel utilization takes time. And I think a lot of it can be mitigated by electrolytes because when you start to lower carbohydrates you ex your insulin's low you're excreting out a lot more sodium a lot more potassium and similar to saturated fat like sodium has been demonized like oh watch your salt intake watch your salt intake and so we're very curious and we're, we're always like oh cautious on how much salt we're taking in and we're afraid to add it in but like during that adaptation period especially you need to be salting everything. Salt your water, salt salt it to replenish those electrolytes because you're excreting them out so rapidly. Yeah, and even if you've been doing keto for a while, at least I have my salt with me all the time, you know, because like you said, when you have low glucose, glucose helps sodium get into the cell. So you got to replenish, and that's a great tip. So if you're thinking about starting keto, get the quality salt handy right now. And uh, how do you recommend, if somebody's a pure sugar burner right now, like, like you were, carboholic, which I was too, by the way, and they are convinced, I want to try keto. Do you recommend just sucking it up? I know Ken Berry teaches this, sucking it up, getting through that keto flu, and on the opposite side, it's the great land of ketosis, or do you recommend just ramping down your carbs slowly while you increase your fat and kind of gradually getting into it? What do you think about both approaches? Yeah, I think both approaches can work. I honestly say it depends on the individual. Like, it depends on if you're someone like, someone with like a military mindset that's like, I can go and do this. There's someone who can go from eating a ton of carbs to switching to keto and go, cool. But like someone who's, like my brother, for instance, he just recently started back on a ketogenic diet. He's trying to lose 100 pounds and he's been doing incredible. But he's someone who's like, was eating a ton of sweets. He's not someone who's going to go from 100 to zero like like that. He slowly transitioned was like, all right, let me start eating more like Mediterranean. Let me make smarter choices. Like let me cut out regular soda. That's an easy one for people to just go, all right, let me cut that out. I'm still eating other foods. Now you start making habit changes. And I think for people who want to make this a lifestyle, that's the way to do it because you want them to learn. You don't want them to think in punishment, right? And I think a lot of times people think punishment and reward systems. I think those are temporary behaviors. I think you want to create behavior change for long-term sustainability. So don't go, oh, I messed up. Let me punish myself and go do an hour and a half worth of cardio. It's like, no, let me learn how to make a better decision. So rather than eat regular pasta, I'm eating 
a palmini pasta or, or a shirataki noodle pasta or whatever pasta is a lower carb option let me just start making those decisions and you're like okay now those start to add up and incrementally it's like oh this isn't that bad after all i can sustain this sort of thing so that i think it depends on the goal and the individual yeah great advice i, I agree with you so you decided, you and your business partner, to figure out if you could actually put on muscle with the ketogenic diet. And what did you come across? What, what, what's the answer? Yeah. So, well, in short, it's absolutely feasible. And there's a ton of studies since we published that study that have shown that. And so for us, I was actually skeptical at first. Our hypothesis going into that study and this was 2012, 2013, I was like, you know what? The ketogenic dieting group is going to lose more fat mass. Like I think everyone talks about keto for, they talk about it for weight loss, but what everyone really wants is fat loss. I think it's been shown and documented that you can lose fat on that. I think they're going to have a better fat loss, but I don't think they're going to gain as much muscle. And I was proven wrong. In fact, so basically what we did, and this is the key to understand when studies are looking at muscle, is you need to allow time, like we just talked about, for that adaptation period. So most of the studies you see out there that show, oh, a ketogenic diet can't gain muscle, they're looking at a, it's a two to three week study. Well, of course, you're going through that adaptation phase for one, two, potentially even three weeks. You're going through that and like they feel like crap. They're not training as hard. They don't know how to properly supplement. And they're typically just saying, hey, here's a diet, go eat this and report back in three weeks and they lose muscle and they're not training and there's a lot of complications with those things. So like we wanted to do it right. So we took people, we adapted them for two weeks. We said, all right, let's get used to this. We had a dietitian work with them and say, oh, let's figure out how to change some of those food choices. Let's create these habits. And then we trained them hard for eight weeks. And at the end of that 10 week period, the two week adaptation and the eight week training, we saw that the ketogenic dieting group was able to gain just as much muscle as the individuals who were eating a carbohydrate-based diet, yet they lost more fat mass. Um, and the interesting part about our study, and this was one of the things that was really unique, is that it matched for protein intake. Because a lot of people think, oh, well, cool, the ketogenic dieting group gained just as much muscle because they ate more protein. No, they eat the exact same amount of protein uh, as the individuals who are eating carbs. So that was a really cool finding for us to, to find that. Yeah, I love that you match the protein. That'll solve that dispute. That's so cool. So what about a CrossFit athlete? I, I used to own a CrossFit gym here in Miami. I, I sold it a, a year ago, and I used to teach keto, and a lot of them had resistance. They, they thought they couldn't perform CrossFit type of workouts and follow a keto diet. They need their carbs. They need, they need to drink that whey protein shake with their banana right, right after they finished their last set of deadlifts. So can you put on muscle and size and follow a keto diet and do CrossFit? For sure. And it's funny because I think you're starting to see a trend of a lot of CrossFitters like switching. Like it's interesting because like the CrossFit world was driven by paleo. Like paleo was huge in the CrossFit world. And if you think about it, even most of the CrossFit athletes who are paleo are likely in some state of ketosis because their workouts are so ridiculous. Like they're burning through so much of that. And so a lot of them are like low carb paleo. And so they're, they're like floating on the fence of like really just being in ketosis as it is with how, like how demanding their workouts are. But Rachel Gregory actually did a really great study uh, looking at CrossFit athletes uh, and then a group from Auburn actually did another study kind of confirming it but both groups saw that you take CrossFit athletes you train them eight to 12 weeks again able to gain uh, just as much muscle and they both times saw greater reduction in body fat boom there you go CrossFitters listen listen to that, that those studies right there what is the number one reason why you see you've seen people fail or struggle on a ketogenic diet yeah, I think there's there's a couple. One, I think a lot of it is not having the right information to start, like not having the right foundation. So a lot of people, because you're hearing it everywhere now, right? Keto, keto, keto. Like we were just talking with someone earlier and I was like, what do you know about keto? And they're like, oh, it's a really high protein diet. It's interesting because people just don't know and they don't know what they don't know. And I think one of it's a lack of understanding before they jump into it. And two, kind of stemming off of that, I think a lot of people have trouble with understanding like 
Do I need to force fat in? Do I need to eat all of this copious amount? Do I need to have bulletproof coffee every single day? Do I need to have slabs of fat and force that in? And this imbalance in electrolytes. I would say those are the three things, a lack of knowledge, the imbalance in electrolytes, and not really understanding what constitutes a well-formulated ketogenic diet versus them thinking I need to have 80 to 90% of my calories as fat and force it in even if I'm not hungry. Yeah, that's great. Those are three great tips right there. So would you say that ketogenic, being in a state of ketosis is not necessarily about eating high fat. It's more about eating low carb. I love that. And yes, 100%. I think ketosis is a metabolic state. And I think that's the thing to understand is that a ketosis is a metabolic state when your body is primarily running on fat and ketones as fuel. And there's a multitude of ways to get into a state of ketosis. You could eat 100 calories a day of, I'm not recommending this, but you can have 100 calories of french fries a day and go do a crossfit workout. And technically, you're in a state of ketosis because you're going to be primarily utilizing fat and running off of ketones despite eating that. That's why I like to talk about eating a well-formulated ketogenic diet for whatever your goals are. I love it. That's why keto is not a, a trend or a fad because it's a metabolic state. It's what the body is designed to do for forever. You know, our ancestors were in a state of ketosis forever. So it's not a diet. It is a diet, but it's more of a metabolic state than a diet or anything else. Great, great tips there, Ryan. Now I have a question. What are three tips you would give somebody for long-term keto success? Yeah, so one is really dialing it in on the electrolytes. I think don't be afraid of having a ton of sodium or, or salt, as long as it's a good quality. That's important. What's, what's a good, good quality salt? Like real salt, love theirs because of the minerals and everything that they have in there. Love that stuff. Uh, you don't good. want table salt. It's bleached. You want to try and stay away from that stuff. So get good quality salt and electrolytes. One of the ones I talk often about is movement. And I think it often gets overlooked. You can have a tremendous amount of success on a ketogenic diet just by itself. But I think if you really want long-term benefits of it, I think some form of movement. And it doesn't have to be you hardcore doing squats in the gym, crushing it. That's great. Like resistance training is amazing. I'm a huge advocate for it. But just going for a 10 to 15 minute walk, like being active, going for a hike, going on a bike ride, playing with your kid, whatever that may be, some type of movement is important because the reason is I think the more you work out, not to go too sciencey, but the more you work out, you increase something known as lactic acid. And lactic acid uses the same transporters as ketones to get inside of your muscle, to get inside of your brain. So the more you're building up those tunnels and you're building up that lactic acid, the better you are going to be able to utilize ketones. So when your body's producing them, you'll take them up into tissue a lot better if you're exercising and moving. So I think, I think that's one of the biggest ones. And then three, I think finding a comfortable spot. And it's funny because I'm actually talking with someone who's, who's going to be a coach on a really big show. I can't announce it yet, but it, he's going to be using a lot of ketogenic dieting, low carbohydrate strategies. But like one of the biggest pieces is mindset, right? For people who are severely overweight, it's, it's a mindset piece. And so I call it intermittent eating for people who have struggled with it rather than intermittent fasting. And the reason I realize that is because I've had talks with friends and family members and I'm like, oh, I do intermittent fasting. And they're like, oh, but I'm so hungry. Like I wake up and I'm hungry and I'm hungry at nine o'clock. And I was like, how do I reframe this? Because for them, it's, they're just thinking about it. They're not like truly starving at that point. It's a mindset piece. So I'm like, you know what? Screw the intermittent fasting thing. We're going to go with intermittent eating. And they're like, I'm interested. What is that? I'm like, oh, you, you can have two or three meals. You're just going to eat between like 12 o'clock and, and six o'clock. And they're like, oh, I can eat like two meals between them. I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, cool. I'm like, you're doing intermittent fasting, but it's reframing it to intermittent eating. And so I think finding a, a state where you become comfortable, I don't think you need to be super rigid and go, oh, you need to be exactly, wait exactly 18 hours on the minute. Like find a place where you're comfortable and allow a degree of flexibility to go, all right, some degree of intermittent fasting, intermittent eating is beneficial. Great. I love that. So make sure you have your electrolytes in check, you're moving often, and you're doing intermittent eating. I've never heard it put that way, and I like it. I'm going to use that, Ryan. 
Yeah, it's so important that that mindset switch because it's the same thing, but you're taking the word fasting, which people think, oh, I'm going to starve myself. People think that that's the case to, oh, I'm just going to eat what I normally eat, but it's within a certain window. So I, I love that. Those are three powerful tips. So on the subject of intermittent fasting, intermittent eating, what do you feel about, have you done studies and what are your thoughts on working out, training, exercise in the fasted state? Yeah, I'm a fan of it. So like I do it in the morning and kind of like everything, it comes down to what are your goals, right? Like if my goal is to become a massive bodybuilder, probably working out in a fasted state probably isn't ideal for that goal. Now for the other 99.9% .9 of the world who's not trying to gain a ridiculous amount of muscle, it's not going to be bad if you work out in a fasted state. The thing I recommend is, here's my thoughts on, on the intermittent eating piece, and this is something that I don't talk about a lot, but I think it would be beneficial. The challenge is it's hard, and I don't even do it yet myself. I do it when I'm trying to optimize body composition, but a lot of times people will like work out in the morning, but like it's easier for them to fast in the morning, have like coffee or something in the morning, and then they usually have lunch and dinner. If your goal is to try and build muscle, and optimize body composition, I think shifting that window earlier would likely be beneficial. And there's studies showing that like in mice, for instance, and, and if you give them a big breakfast, a moderate lunch, and a small dinner, and you get versus giving them a small breakfast, a moderate lunch, and a big dinner, despite calories being the same, their body composition is better when they have a bigger breakfast than if they have a bigger dinner. There's a variety of, of reasons why that's probably the case, but likely eating earlier on the day, you're more active throughout the day. Like you're, you're not eating right at night and then you're going to sleep. So if that's your goal, then I think even if you work out fat in a fasted state in the morning, maybe having your first meal close to maybe an hour after that and then eating another big meal and then kind of not eating throughout the nighttime, that might be a, a good approach, even if someone's stalling or if your goal is to build a good amount of muscle. But that's difficult, right? It's a difficult thing to do because everyone, it's a lot easier to eat at night and fast in the morning. But uh, it's just a tool for people that are listening. Like, hey, if you're stuck or you're stalled out, maybe just shifting that window could be the, the, the tool to help you. I love it. You know, it's just another tool in the toolbox. It's that variation. Like if you've plateaued, give us a try. Maybe it'll work for you. I personally love training in the fastest day. I worked out about 90 minutes ago. So around three o'clock, 2.30 here in Miami. I'm still fasted. I haven't eaten yet. I want it to be sharp. I, I took my um, nootropics this morning and I feel fantastic. I feel razor sharp. I feel focused. My energy levels are fantastic. I'm probably going to break my fast around 6 p.m. And I have metabolic flexibility. I'm not insulin resistant. So if you are insulin resistant, then yeah, don't follow this approach until you take care of that. But it's been such a game changer for my health, training in the fasted state versus when I work out and I have food in my stomach, I just don't have the same workout. It's just not the same. My, my body's using resources and energy and blood flow to process that food and not crush the weights. So it's been a game changer for me. And I love that you do it as well. Tell me about your book, The Ketogenic Bible. Yeah, I mean, that was a beast, a uh, big undertaking for us to, to do that. And um, in essence, we got contacted and we're like, hey, and this was several years ago, this keto thing's about to, to like blow up. We have all these cookbooks, like, like there's a ton of cookbooks out there, but we really don't have anything that's like scientifically based yet. Other than Dr. Volick's low carb book, like there's nothing really out there. So I was like, you know what? I would love to put a resource out for people that could be from everyone who's just getting started to like someone who wants to dive into the science of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or cancer and things like that. And so that was really a big passion project for us. So we, we just want, went in and dove in to all of the research, literally from traumatic brain injury to cancer, everything in between ALS, schizophrenia, depression, and really analyzed a lot of the science and tried to make it practical to like for people to understand like we said earlier, you can put all the science in the world out there, but if you can't apply it or you can't practically understand it, it's going to sit on a shelf and collect dust for another 10 years. And that's just unacceptable. So we really tried to break it down and allow people to go section by section to understand, okay, cool. I want to apply it for this, or I have a family member dealing with this. 
how might this be a therapeutic option that I might be able to implement? And so that's what we set out to do. I love it. That's such a great title, by the way, the Ketogenic Bible. And it's available on Amazon. It's available on your website as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to put links for all that in the notes. Make sure you get it. What was your most important discovery uh, when you were doing research for that book? Most surprising, most surprising. Actually, so my favorite part about writing that book was the history. And it's funny because I hated history growing up. Like, I think it's fascinating. Um, But like, I just was never good at it. Like, I never was good at like remembering a lot of stuff. But like, to me, the most fascinating piece was understanding like step by step of how we got here. Because I didn't know it. I was so oblivious to like, oh, well, everyone talks about the early developments in the 1920s for epilepsy when they first termed the ketogenic diet. But what happened between the 1920s when it was used for epilepsy and to the 19, I'd say mid 1990s, all the way to today with the Charlie Foundation and how it kind of got a resurgence, that blew my mind. Like the whole political, like everyone talks about Ansel Keys and the, the seven country studies, but there's a lot intertwined in there that I was like, wow, people were eating like this and it was a natural state to be eating a higher fat diet for a very long period of time. And we kind of just botched it. Like we botched the system and, and it's like, dang, that set us back like several decades. And I think we're finally climbing out of the hole. Fortunately, now uh, you start to see like butters back on the, on magazines and fat is making a resurgence avocado sales are like going rampant and it's amazing to watch that because it's cool to see it kind of come back and i feel now more than ever a responsibility for all of us that are advocates for this conversation a responsibility to protect the conversation because what happens is when you don't that's when it becomes a fad right because you look at what happened the atkins era hit this peak and people were all over the Atkins era. And then what happened? Like they started coming out. Unfortunately, there was products that were coming out that were filled with a ton of stuff. And then people were eating them and they weren't, they were getting knocked out of ketosis. It was brutal. And so you need to have some type of regulation around it, education around like, hey, how do you make this a lifestyle? How do you focus on whole foods yet still allow a degree of, of flexibility for people and protect the conversation? Because there's always going to be the Jillian Michaels of the world who are going to come in and try and bash it. And you got to just out-educate that. And I always just say, stay on the offense, keep educating, keep putting out information. Because at the end of the day, if you can reach one person, you kind of create this ripple effect of like, all right, well, then they see success. They go tell someone else. And, and it's really up to us to protect the conversation and keep it going. Yeah, right on, brother. Exactly. Stay on the offensive. And I'm with you. I'm with you with this and on this mission to educate people and not just educate, but relate to them so they can make a difference in their life. So with that being said, let's get to that first question I I had asked you that we kind of got away from. With the popularity of the keto diet exploding, and I see it to continue be this way because like you said, it's a metabolic state. Do you see this trend getting in a better direction, the obesity trend? Do you see it reversing? I do. I do. And I think what's happening right now is... In part, I think it's, it starts with us creating a movement, right? So it's becoming such a loud conversation that people can't ignore it. And you know that people can't ignore it when you're starting to see fast food chains, restaurants, all of these people start offering keto options or even being low carb options, they're starting to take notice. And that's when you can start actually creating a huge change because as much as I, we can sit here and advocate like, hey, here's how to prep food or here's how to do this, the majority of people are going to be on the run. They're going to be grabbing fast food options. They're going to be going to restaurants. And so when those start becoming viable options where it's like, oh, I can sit down at a restaurant and not look like a weirdo or feel uncomfortable asking my waiter for 18 different changes to the menu item when it's like, oh, no, there is a low carb pasta option or, oh, I can order a burger and get it with lettuce or, oh, I can get this keto bowl. When those start really catching on, now it's becoming mainstream and people are going, I'm starting to take notice of this. I'm starting to realize the benefits of eating higher fat, but lowering my carbohydrate and sugar intake. 
And that's when it starts to create an effect. So I think by doing that and you're starting to see that trend going, we'll start to see healthier alternatives for people. And when they have alternatives and they have options, they don't have an excuse anymore to go, oh, well, I'm going to get this option when there's a lower sugar, a lower carb option right here that can allow them to make a better decision. Yeah, right on. And with social media, the information is getting out there in, in massive amounts with your work and the, and the work that a lot of the influencers in our space are doing. So I agree with you. I see that that trend becoming reversed, the diabetes trend and this epidemic, this nasty diseases that we see. Okay, the facility you're in right now, tell us about the Applied Science and Performance Institute and, and uh, what you got going on there in Tampa, Florida. Yeah, man. So... Um... Jacob and I, we spent a lot of time in academics, right? So that's where we did the first keto study. And I think academics are great. You publish and you can do a lot of research. The challenge with it is there's four walls and a ceiling and it doesn't like when you press against it, right? So like there was a lot of pushback. Like we got ridiculed, ridiculed when we did our first keto study because no one knew, no one knew it. And it's like, you got to stay within these parameters. And the other challenge is the publishing world. Like in the publishing world, so to put it in perspective, like we did this ketogenic study in 2012, I believe. That paper didn't get published until 2017. That's five years later. Like the publishing world's insane. It can take longer than that. It can take six, seven years. And so for me, that was unacceptable, right? Because you have research results. You're able to do science. But if it's not getting out to the masses for five years, that's five years of lives that could have been affected, right? So like if there's a breakthrough in a cancer or Alzheimer's or diabetes development, why should anyone have to wait years? They shouldn't have to wait weeks to find that information out. It should be almost like, cool, we found this result. Let's get it out to people. And so we created ASPI to do just that. We created this facility. It's a 22,000 square foot facility that really bridges the gap between science and practical application where we have labs, we have all types of technology that can look at cognitive function, body composition, metabolism, movement uh, kinetics. And we do a bunch of different research. We're doing research a lot on a lot of different ketogenic therapies. We're also doing research on things like stem cells and everything in between. And not only high level athletes, like some of the most elite athletes in the world, but also Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer patients, traumatic brain injury individuals. So really covering that entire spectrum that we're passionate about and really just trying to make a change and allow that information to get out to the masses a lot quicker. I love that. It's so awesome what you're doing there. And that's crazy. 2012 to 2017, millions of lives were negatively affected because that that information didn't get out there. So I acknowledge you and your business partner and everybody who's part of that facility for doing what you're doing. It's it's so much needed. If somebody wants to maybe support your facility or support what you guys are doing, where would, where would they go to find out more? Honestly, uh, we have a website. Uh, it's theaspi.com, but we always do tours and everything. I love showing people around and uh, just showing them what we do because we it's fun. It's kind of like um, the ESPN sports science feel because you'll you'll see like a professional athlete walking down the hallway and you're like, what? But it's cool to be able to work with guys like that who are just proactive, right? Taking their health and really taking back control of their health, which is the most important piece. Yeah. So if you're ever in Tampa, go check them out. ASPI, Dr. Ryan Lowry. I have a few more questions for you, Ryan. Let's say somebody, and I'm sure you've gotten this several times because I get it all the time. Ryan, when it comes to losing weight, it's not really the keto diet that's helping people lose weight. It's because they're in a calorie deficit. And there's no difference between keto and a calorie deficit. If you just cut your calories and move more, you're going to lose weight. It's a, it's an energy balance. So what would you say to somebody like that? Oh, I, I love this question. I've actually had multiple discussions with individuals about this. Here's the thing. I can make the argument from two standpoints. One, I think... Being in a ketogenic diet puts you at a metabolic advantage. There are studies that have matched calories, and I've I've provided multiple of these, that have literally matched calories, matched protein intake, and saw greater results in body composition with a low-carbohydrate approach. That's been documented over and over again. People will counter that and go, well, there's been metabolic ward studies that have matched 
match calories. There's flaws, and I could pick apart flaws in each one of those, but there is a metabolic advantage to being in a state of ketosis. Even there's even a metabolic advantage of being in a state of ketosis versus just being low carb. I think being low carb is certainly better than being high carb, but being in a state of ketosis changes your metabolism. You're burning fat at a higher rate. You're potentially increasing things like brown adipose tissue, potentially increasing energy expenditure, all of those different things. And so that's my first argument to that equation. The second part of it is if you want to still argue and go, it's calories in, calorie. Well, first off, you can't, you can't even make the argument that all calories are the same because a calorie of uh, like all carbs aren't created equal, right? If you have a cal like four calories that are coming from fiber versus four calories that are coming from sugar, the metabolic impact of that are completely different. And that's been documented over and over again. But say you're saying, you know what? Same amount of fiber, same amount of protein, the exact same amount of protein, having high carb versus having higher fat. My question is, is this, you look at what's sustainable. So if you're trying to diet on a low fat diet, and you, this has been shown in studies, versus a low carbohydrate diet, the adherence rate to a high fat, low carbohydrate diet is much higher. And at the end of the day, you wanna talk practicality, we can put people in metabolic wards for seven days and, and talk about these studies. But at the end of the day, what matters is what they're gonna do for the other 358 days of the year, right? So what's actually happening in real world practical application, it's a lot easier for people to do intermittent eating or go periods without eating, eating a higher fat, lower carbohydrate approach. And that's been documented over and over again in science and in real world practical application. So yeah, if you want to say, oh, it's comes down to people select lower calorie by nature when they're eating a ketogenic diet. They tend to eat a lot less. So you can, I can say, cool, if you want to agree to disagree, still they're going to eat lower amount of calories by nature. And is that a bad thing? Cool. You make the argument that they see better results because they're eating less calories. Cool. Is that necessarily a bad thing that they're eating less calories because they've chosen to eat higher fat, low, lower carbohydrate foods? No, that's a win. That's great. Congrats. Like that's what's going to allow them to see progress versus struggling, trying to say, oh, if it fits my macros, I'm going to try and fit in three M&Ms to my diet. And, and they're, they're just seeing, they're going down into a bad headspace doing Amen, dude. Amen. I, I, you could just keep going on that rant because I'm, I'm 100% with you. And I've, Coming from the CrossFit world, coming from a, I was a personal trainer for many years before that, I followed that and I taught that for so many years and I realized, oh, it actually doesn't work long term. It only works short term and then you end up wrecking the hormones and the metabolism. I do believe calories matter, but I don't think they're important. I think what's more important is the hormones and the metabolism. And like you said, you get the benefits when you're eating a low fat diet, a high, high fat, low carb diet, a keto diet, you get the benefits of producing ketones. And we know with the research you put out and the research that's out there, there are so many benefits to producing ketones. And you don't get that just by cutting your calories. And there's so many things we could pick apart here. There's one person in my, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's in your area. He's a PhD and he still promotes the calories in, calories out. A lot of sophisticated people do it. And I actually asked Dr. Fung this last week. I interviewed Dr. Fung and he said, I asked him why they're still promoting this if they're, they're so smart, but it clearly doesn't work in practicality. He says, when you built your whole career on this, it's so hard to kind of go backwards. And it's true. And Dr. Fung built his career on that, on, on eating a, a high carb diet, and he went backwards. So he, he was a pioneer in that, but most people won't do that. And that's why I love your work, because you're a free thinker. And even if you're proven wrong, you don't let that affect your work, like you were talking about with the losing muscle. You thought you were going to lose muscle, you're not going to be able to sustain it, and you were wrong. And that dictated the way you provided your work. So I love that, and I respect your work. So uh, let's continue. Let's let's pass this this topic here, unless you wanted to add anything onto that. Well, I, I think I'm I'm very aware of the individual you're talking about, and it's it's quite interesting because put keto aside, and this is an interesting conversation, kind of going. I don't even want to the carnivore vegan route, but just thinking about the quality of protein. So even if you take two studies, and it's funny because. There's a PhD that actually did this study who still argues about the, that, the calorie equation. But you literally take two groups. They have the same exact calorie content. 
They eat the same exact carbohydrates, the same exact fat. The only thing that differs is one of them eats whey protein and one of them has wheat protein. Calories are the same, macros are the same. The only thing is the source, the quality of the protein. Dramatic difference in body composition. So you can't tell me it's a calorie thing. Quality of things matter. Like different sources of fat, like MCTs are gonna react differently than long chain fats. Like fibrous carbohydrates are gonna act differently than high glycemic carbohydrates. And it, it shows in body composition. So I agree with you. I think at some level, it's not like, oh, just because you're on a ketogenic diet, calories just float away. No, at some level, calories matter, but they're not the be-all, end-all. And I've done a lot in science. There's no way I've ever seen that someone can predict down to a gram of like, oh, I know how much. We have the, the most cutting-edge equipment in here, and still, I can measure someone's metabolism, and if I fed them... 2,346 calories a day, their body composition will still change even though that's their basal resting metabolic meta like metabolism. So it's a dynamic system. We're an open system, not a closed system. So the laws of thermodynamics are very, very different. Exactly. Boom. Right on. Drop the mic. You're right. And you know, the, these, a lot of these researchers, they're brilliant and I don't think they're bad people, but they're on an ivory tower and they're looking at research that might look good, the research to looking at, but when you actually apply it to people you're working with, when you're, when you're knee to knee with them, like I work with clients one-on-one -on -one in, a, in a group setting, it doesn't transfer. It doesn't apply. Like you said, we're an open system and the metabolic response from those calories, that's what's important. What is the body doing after you have those cal calories? Not how many calories are you having? It's just a huge distraction to what really matters. And we need to get away from that because it's leading people down the wrong direction because they, they're going to get initial results and say, hey, what, you know, what is Ryan and Ben talking about? I'm, I'm losing weight. I feel better. And then eventually they end up gaining the weight back. Their metabolism is wrecked and they think that they're at fault. They just need to have better willpower. But that's not what happened. They, they just follow the wrong approach. So for those listening to this, we, we encourage you to do some research and get out of that mindset of calories in, calories out, and focus more on the hormones and the metabolism. Right, and well, one of the last things on that, and I think it's an important thing to mention, you, a perfect example is like The Biggest Loser. If you've ever watched the show The Biggest Loser, there's studies on Biggest Loser contestants. So at some point, the question becomes, how low can you go, right? So like these people work out like three or four times a day, they diet them down to really, really low levels. So like, their metabolism, your metabolism adapts. So the longer you diet, the more your metabolism is going to adapt. So if you go from eating 2,500 calories and slowly work your way down to eating 1,000 calories, your metabolism is going to shift. So now when you leave the ranch or you go back to trying to say, you know what, I've, just, I've destroyed my hormones, I need to raise my calories. Well, now eating at 1,500 calories now becomes a surplus because your metabolism has shifted. And so there's so many things, like you mentioned, it's a dynamic system and everyone's metabolism is different. I agree. You need to, it, it, we need to change the conversation of getting away from like, oh, I just need to focus on calories. Like there's some hormones, so many other things that go into what actually allows your metabolism to, to work at a high level. Yeah, dude, right on. That, per that Biggest Loser is a perfect example. I always talk about it. I always talk about The Biggest Loser during my lectures and I always say, why do you think there is never a Biggest Loser reunion show, right? They all gain the weight back because they wrecked their metabolism and their, and their hormones. I have three more questions for you. What are you most excited about right now? Everything that you're working on, what's the most exciting thing right now? Honestly, the potential that we're seeing in the neurological areas. So that's the most fascinating to me. And in part, I think it's so fascinating because a lot of times people think about keto as just being a fat loss thing. Uh, and that's immediately where their mind goes. I'm fascinated by the, all the other benefits, particularly like the brain and cognitive benefits. And we're studying not only a ketogenic diet, we're studying exogenous ketones in those populations. But like, when you look at people with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, traumatic brain injury, it's insulin resistance of the brain. So think about it. So they're literally referring to it as type 3 diabetes because their brain is resistant to taking up and utilizing glucose. And so what if you can provide a fuel source that their brain could take up and utilize? And so 
a lot of it is we're doing studies on a ketogenic diet in conjunction with exogenous ketones to help boost and get that energy across the blood-brain barrier for them. And the results are just incredible that we've been seeing so far. So we work with a lot of NFL uh, alumni who some of these individuals, it's sad to even watch them walk. We have guys in here that they can't leave their house without having one of those monitors on them because they have no idea how to get home. And it's like, that's common in people with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, traumatic brain injury. And it's like, it's a, and a lot of times we, we attack it with drugs and drugs and drugs and drugs and drugs. And what if it's a fuel issue? What if it's just their brain starving for energy and for decades of their life, they haven't been providing it. So what if you can provide that? What if you can allow them to run on fat and ketones as their primary fuel source? Can that at least help them? It certainly won't hurt. And we're seeing drastic, drastic improvements. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see the results from all those studies. It's uh, devastating to know somebody with that disease. It's, um, you, you know, like Max, Max Lugavere's work, uh, who wrote Genius Foods, what happened with his mom and the work he's doing. So I love that you're, you're researching that. What are you uh, grateful for today? It's amazing. I actually wrote several things down in my journal this morning. First and foremost, every morning I'm grateful to be alive. I think people take that for granted. I'm grateful that I have, I have another shot at life today because nothing's promised. I literally say this all the time. People think I'm crazy for saying it. My mom hates when I say it, but I say I'm literally getting on a plane tomorrow to Mexico and there's no, gar there's no guarantee that I'm going to get off that plane. So I'm grateful for another shot at life today. Uh, I'm grateful for my team, everyone that's helping contribute to the overall mission. I have an incredible team that all share the same vision. That's very, very rare. And I love each and every one of them. Every morning, I'm grateful for my dog. Uh, I, always, I always talk about him. I post him a lot on social media, Scoot. But people think I'm crazy, but he's taught me so much. I've had him for a little over a year. And I'm going to spend... Uh, a lot of time with him tonight before I leave for the weekend, but I'm just so grateful for him in the sense that he's taught me more. He has three legs. Uh, I adopted him. He was in, in an abusive home. And just the mindset that he has, even though he can never talk, he talks to me because the mindset he has of like, he walks around on three legs and nothing stops him. Like I've seen him jump off of couches, try and jump up on people's laps and like smash his face on the ground. And I'm like, and then he'll get up and do it again. Like his resilience is incredible. And I'm like, what if everyone lived in a state like that? And on top of that, uh, I actually have a tattoo of him. And one of my favorite phrases, and that's something that he taught me, is be here now. Because if you think about animals, and you think about pets, one of the things that they don't understand is time. Like they don't understand that there's a tomorrow. So like, the most amazing feeling, and, and uh, I actually talk about this to, to anyone I say, is I have some like rules in my life that are like no ifs, ands, or buts. And one of those rules is I will never walk into my house on the phone or distracted. So I've taken calls inside of my garage for an hour and a half before I ever walk into the house because the moment I walk into the house, I don't care how crazy this sounds. He's sitting on the other end. He's sitting on the couch waiting. He's been waiting the entire day for me to come home. And if I come in distracted, that's a smack in his face. And he now, he won't understand why. He, he won't understand that dad's walking in and he's not paying attention to me. So like when I come in, it's 100% focus on him. And I think so many people live in a state, not only with their pets, but with friends, loved ones in their life where they're never present. We're always distracted. We're always on our phone, focused on something else. And I think we can get so much more out of life if we're just present. And so for me, that's a big thing of like, whenever I'm with people, whenever I'm with him, I just try and be fully engaged and present as much as possible and make the most out of the time. Beautiful, bro. That's one of the best gifts, gifts you could give yourself and give the person you're with is just your, your presence. And it's becoming more difficult with technology. Technology is amazing, but it but it's a double-edged sword. And I love dogs. I have my dog. He's sleep. He's been sleeping here the whole time. He's a ninety-pound German Shepherd Lab that I also adopted when he was a puppy. He's going to be five years old in a couple of weeks. So, I'm with you, man. They're always happy when you arrive at home. They could be in a full sleep, 
And you turn that door, they're jumping up and they're excited. They're not thinking, oh, you just woke me up. I was sleeping. I was in the middle of my... No, they're like, yes, let's play. Right? It's, it's, I love it, dude. So really cool. Really cool that you shared that. Uh, what's your definition of perfect health? That's a good one. I've never been asked that before. Um, my definition of perfect health would be, because I think, I think health is multifaceted, right? A lot of times people just think, oh, body composition. I think more like internal health is important, but there's psychological health, there's social health, there's spiritual health. I think fulfillment is probably the biggest piece of like, if you were to look at a pie of health, I think be living in a state of fulfillment and gratitude probably takes up a majority of it because people as, as crazy as it is, and I know we've been talking about the benefits of internal health and ketogenic diet, but like you could be in a poor health, what people would say a health state internally, like be overweight, be obese. But like, if you're fulfilled and you're living in a state of gratitude, you're far better off than someone who's miserable and depressed and upset. So that's a big piece for me is living in a state of fulfillment, living in a state of gratitude. And then I think, I mean, it's kind of weird to say, but like making healthy options or choosing healthy alternatives in your food and in your regimen, meaning get movement in, meaning that don't mess up progress with perfection. I think that's a big one. People get so hung up on, I need to be perfect and they end up not being perfect and then they go and eat McDonald's and mess everything up. Like as long as you're making incremental progress, you're living in a state of gratitude and you're fulfilled every single day in what you do, I think you're a healthy individual. I think you're you're living, you're coming from a great state. And that fulfillment piece is a big, big part because I think so many people go through the motions of life, kind of like where we were talking about with the lack of presence. But a mentor of mine once told me this, and it's something that's stuck with me ever since. And it relates to health in a sense that they said success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure because you can have all the financial success, you can have all the all the health success you want but if you're not fulfilled in what you're doing and there's tony robbins talks about multiple tiers of fulfillment but if you're not fulfilled in what you're doing and you can look yourself in the mirror at night when you're brushing your teeth or you're getting ready for bed and you can look yourself in the mirror and said i gave it my best effort today if you can do that i think you're healthy i think you're you're making progress you're on the right track whether that be in your relationships, in your spiritual life, in your nutrition journey, in your exercise journey, that's the end goal is a living in a state of gratitude and fulfillment. That's a beautiful answer, dude. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Where can my listeners find your work? What's the best way to find you? I'm on social. I try. I do a lot more on Instagram than I do on Facebook, but on Facebook, it's Dr. Ryan Lowry. On social, it's uh, Ryan P. Lowry. Uh, and then we put up a ton of key, just free information on ketogenic.com. Um, that's where we put a lot of our articles and our resources. So one of those three places uh, on YouTube, I, we, have, we do a lot of YouTube stuff where we break down different topics, but uh, that's Dr. Ryan Lowry as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, ketogenic.com, that's a great website to snag. Uh, that's awesome that you got that. Ryan, I want to acknowledge you, dude. Uh, you're, you're an awesome guy. Uh, you, you were definitely present with, with me during this interview. I love the work you're doing. I acknowledge you for taking that pain, that experience you had with your family and your grandma. And I can't imagine how difficult that was. And I acknowledge you for taking that energy because there's a lot of energy there and you transferred it to helping people to prevent others from going through a similar situation because you could have gone the other direction. You could have gone dark, could have gone negative. You could have done bad things, but you didn't. So you're doing great work. I'm excited to hear about these new studies of the brain and what ketones could do to prevent these diseases or even help with these diseases. And your book's awesome. You're an awesome dude. And I want to thank you for your time today. You rocked it, dude. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. Same to you. I, I love everything you're doing and we're in this together, I think. Uh, and everyone that's listening to this, it's it's a group, it's a community and, and uh, we're all on this mission together. And at the end of the day, it's up to us to leave the lasting legacy and, and pass it forward. Like give the gift of giving and carry it on for multiple people, multiple generations to come. And I appreciate you. 100% brother. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with the man, Dr. Lowry. I'm going to put all the notes 
of this podcast in the notes section. We have links, we have timestamps, we have resources for you. We have somebody full-time dedicated to putting this all together. So head over to the notes of this podcast and explore that. Dig a little bit deeper. Check out Ryan's work. Connect with him on Instagram. Go buy his book, The Ketogenic Bible. Go to ketogenic.com. Get your keto on. And if this episode was helpful to you, please leave it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a big difference for the show. And if you could take 30 seconds out of your day right now to just leave it a quick review, I would really appreciate that. Ryan would really appreciate that. And it will help educate more people in the world of keto fasting performance and longevity. If you haven't gotten my Keto Kickstart Guide as of yet, head over to www.ketokickstartguide.com for a free 12-page ebook all about how to burn fat instead of sugar, how to practice fasting the right way, how to do what I call keto flexing. There's also a keto meal plan in there and a whole host of cool things. So go ahead and grab that free guide over at www.ketokickstartguide.com. Head over to youtube.com slash ketocamp and subscribe to the KetoCamp YouTube channel because we release five brand new videos every single week, including the video version of this podcast episode with Ryan. So if you want to go and watch that again, go ahead to youtube.com slash ketocamp and subscribe and hit that bell so you're notified when I release brand new videos, which by the way, every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time via the YouTube, the KetoCamp YouTube channel, I go live. And I answer questions and I give you coaching live in person, in the flesh. So subscribe and hit that bell. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with Ryan and myself. And you will hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.